Good morning, good morning, good morning. What a blessing to be welcoming you into this uh, beautiful page, Grace Chapter Church page, this beautiful Sunday morning. And I believe that today you are going to be blessed by the ministry of the Word as we continue uh, in the book of Hosea. I just invite you to uh, encourage you to invite your friends, uh, your relatives, uh, let them know that the good news is about to be delivered without any dilution. Uh, today we are going to be moving on uh, to the second part of what we started last week. Uh, last week, if you can uh, remember, we talked about um, us being betrothed in righteousness. We were betrothed in righteousness and we looked at five themes under that uh, subject of righteousness. The first thing, it is only God who can forgive sin or it is actually only God that we have sinned against. And if it is God that we have sinned against, it is only Him who can declare us righteous. And number two, we looked at uh, the righteousness as a gift. It is not something that we work for. It is not something that we earn but it is a gift that is given to us by God. And number three, we looked at uh, righteousness as Christ. Christ is our righteousness, which means our righteousness is not uh, in what we do, but it is in the person of Christ. It is the person of Christ. The Bible actually says, He made him sin, who knew no sin, that we may become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And number four, uh, we looked at uh, one important subject or one important uh, topic there where we said you don't need to prove that you are righteous. You are righteous. It's not something for you to prove to people. Um, proving that you are righteous to people, it's actually a declaration that you question and you doubt your righteousness. You don't need to prove to anybody that you are righteous. And the last thing that we looked at was you are not single and searching. We already are in a relationship. We are already married. We are not single and searching. We are fine. We are content. We are called by the name of the Lord. And because we are called by the name of the Lord, we rejoice in this marriage that lasts forever. It is not uh, until you commit a sin. It is not until you mess up. It is not until your weakness is the better of you. You are in this relationship forever. Because it is not God's plan to divorce you. He understands the power of covenant. And the good thing is this covenant, he did not make this covenant with you. He actually made this covenant with himself. So that you don't play any part, but only benefit from this beautiful covenant that we have uh, in him through our Lord Jesus Christ. So today we are on the second uh, point Hosea chapter number 2, verse 19 to verse 20. If you can quickly go there, Hosea chapter number 2, verse 19 through to verse number 20. It says, I will betroth you to me forever. Yes, I will betroth you to me in righteousness and justice, in loving kindness and mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness and you shall know the Lord. Now, like always, I'm just going to emphasize on the important words there. The first one is, I will. And we said, 
when the Bible says I will, it is God's duty. It is not your responsibility. God is making it clear from the very onset that the burden is on himself to do it. It's not on you. The burden to do it is entirely on him. The very same way he said to Abraham, I will make you a great nation. I will bless those who bless you. It is him taking it upon himself to do it. And the other word that we looked at was betrothed, right? You are engaged to him. You are, you are in a relationship with him. You are in a marriage with him. There is already a bridal price that is paid for you. Everything that is needed by the groom, uh, he already provides because there is already a covenant that is in place for marriage. And the other word is forever, right? Forever. It is not part-time. It is not, it does not have a, you know, a deadline. The Bible says forever. God is eternal and he gives us eternal life so that our relationship with him becomes eternal as well. So our marriage to him is eternal. Now with that forever in your mind, I want you to just hold that word forever in your mind. Now listen now. Yes, I will betroth you to me in righteousness, which means I will betroth you to me in righteousness forever, which means you are forever righteous. Why? Because you are forever in Christ Jesus. You are forever saved. You are forever a child of God. You are forever his bride. So you are forever enjoying the righteousness of God. Even when you stumble, he still calls you righteous. The writer of Proverbs in his wisdom says, A righteous man falls seven times, but rises up again. You don't become a sinner because you have committed a sin. No, you don't become a sinner because you have faltered in one way or the other. No, you are still a righteous man who has committed a sin. You are not defined by the place where you have fallen. You are not defined by you know your, your weakness. You are not defined by the sin that you have committed. You are defined by what God says you are in the new life that you got through the regeneration of your spirit. So when God is looking at you, he says you are righteous and you are righteous forever. And now it says, and in judgment, right? But the other version says, and in justice, I will betroth you to myself in justice. That's what other versions say. But now let me read from my New King James Version, verse number 20. It says, I will betroth you to me. Verse 19, actually. I will betroth you to me forever. Yes, I will betroth you to me in righteousness and justice. If you read the King James, it says, in judgment. I will betroth you to me in judgment. So the word justice and judgment is used interchangeably. Now, this is one aspect that makes a lot of believers very frightened when they hear about the justice of God, when they hear about the judgment of God. You're like, oh, there he comes again. Then we're going to be bent you know, in hell you know, because you know, justice and, and judgment is connected, obviously, to the wrath of God. So he says, I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in judgment and in justice. So that word there that was used simply means uh, a legal decision. That is what judgment means. A legal decision, a legal case, 
a claim uh, that's what it means you know it is something that has to do with the law it's a legal case it's a legal decision it's a legal claim which means it's not just something that is coming from nowhere it's coming from the basis of law it is coming from the basis of law and now why does God say I will betroth you in judgment or I'll betroth you in justice now the reason why he's saying this is because there cannot be the giving of uh, righteousness where there is no judgment because in order for righteousness to be passed on to us it means there is already a judgment that has been put there's already a judgment that has been communicated and that judgment that verdict it's now leading us to a place where it is said based on this judgment based on my justice system you are now right with me you are now righteous with me so god has always been a just god he is a just god he is because he is just he gives justice he, he passes judgments because he is a just god so god is just if you read isaiah chapter number 5 verse 16 you get this idea that God is just. He is a just God. He does not all overlook sin. He does not turn a blind eye on sin as many people want to claim that, oh yeah, no, because I'm now under the grace of God, God just turns the blind eye on sin. No, God doesn't turn a blind eye on sin. Sin is sin to God and sin has to be punished. So God does not turn a blind eye on sin. God punishes sin. Now listen to Exodus chapter number 34, verse 5 to 7. Exodus chapter number 34, verse 5 to 7. The Bible says, Now the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, by no means clearing the guilty. Now, this is what I want you to take note of. By no means clearing the guilty, which means when you are guilty before God, God does not just clear you. He does not overlook your guilt. He does not by any means clear the guilty. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. God is just. He does not overlook sin. He does not clear the guilty. He does not clear the guilty. And again, I want you to look at Proverbs chapter 17, verse number 15. Proverbs chapter 17, verse number 15. The Bible says, He who justifies the wicked. And he who condemns the just, both of them alike are an abomination to the Lord. Right? Are, are, are you getting this? He who justifies the wicked and he who condemns the just, both of them alike are an abomination to the Lord. Which means God is saying if there is one who justifies the wicked, that person is an abomination to the Lord. I want you to just hold that because it is going to come as we continue to go uh, through our message. He who justifies the wicked, 
God says is an abomination to the Lord. Now, let's go back to the very beginning, the book of Genesis, where man is placed, the first Adam is placed in the garden. He's given a law, he's given a commandment. He breaks that commandment. Now, God does not turn the, a blind eye on what Adam had done. Yet, he, because he's a just God, he has to act. So you will find justice in the garden. Justice in the garden. That's where we're starting off. Justice in the garden. Now, so the sin of Adam, justice had to be done. So God comes, he reads out the judgment. As he had said before, in the day that you eat of it, you surely die. Now they are dead. And now he begins to say, you eat of your sweat. He begins to pronounce all these different things that he pronounces. And he casts them out of the garden. Now, the casting of Adam out of the garden was actually an act of grace. It was an act of grace, the act of the love of God. Why? Because God did not want man to partake of the fruit uh, or of the tree of life in his fallen state. Therefore, he had to take man out in order for him to then um, unveil the plan of salvation unveil the plan that was there before the foundation of you know the ages we said last time before you were lost in adam you were actually found in christ your 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 salvation is not god's afterthought it was something that was there you know the coming of jesus was not an afterthought it was something that god planned the bible says he is the lamp that was slain before the foundation of the ages so justice had to take place. Justice could not overlook the sin of the first man. There was a crime that was committed and somebody had to pay for that. And in order for, for that crime to, to go, God had to kill an animal in order for him to clothe the man. He takes him out because sin has got consequences. Now it leads us to Romans chapter number 3, verse number, 20, verse number 23. The Bible says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We were in Adam when Adam sinned. We were the ones chased out of the presence of the Lord. We were the ones chased out of the garden. We were the ones who were naked and ashamed. We were the ones who broke the law of God. Because the word Adam simply means mankind. So we were in him. He was representing all of us. And now he is out of the garden. The sin has been committed. Some form of justice has actually taken place. But this is not the full justice of God. Right? There is no declaration that Adam is right. Adam has been given his punishment. An animal has been killed. But there is no declaration that he is right with God. He is there, right? He is out of the garden, but it's just a part of justice that has been executed, not the full measure of the justice of God. Now, so you have got the first man, the first Adam, and the Bible says he was a living being, right? Not, 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 not just a life-giving, he was not a life-giving spirit, he was a living being, he was a living soul. Right? So the living soul has committed a sin, the sin that has affected all of us, and now finds all of us where we are. So there was need for a substitute. And at that particular time, an animal had to be killed. 
an animal had to be sacrificed in order for it to appease the wrath of God, the anger of God, because sin always, uh, you know, reveals the wrath of God. Sin always reveals the anger of God because God hates sin because he himself is righteous. Now, if you progress, you know, throughout the word of God, you also not something that you find now in the New Testament. After a series of different sacrifices that are given in the Old Testament, year after year, year after year, year after year, in order for there to be a bridge between a fallen man and a righteous God, a just God and a man who is now unjust, a man who is now in sin, whose conscience is now corrupted by sin. So justice had to be saved. There was justice that had to be saved. Now, I want you to follow me because we're going to do a lot of uh, scripture reading uh, and it will make sense as we, as we continue to go. Now, in order for there to be a perfect substitution, you know, I've heard a lot of people say, well, um, a man, if there was a man who was perfect, that man, you know, could have become the, the sacrifice, could have become the, you know, the substitute. But the truth of the matter is, there was no one, even though there was going to be for some, let's just say for some reason, in our wildest imagination, that there was going to be born, you know, someone who is perfect. Now, that person who was going to be born, who is perfect, there was no way that person could be a substitute. I'm going to explain why. And also, if there was an angel, you know, perfect angel, there was no way where that angel could become perfect. Why? Because all this line, it was of living beings, living souls, not a life-giving spirit. Are you getting this? So justice demanded the only person who was supposed to give life was one who is not a living being or a living soul, but it was supposed to be one who is a life-giving spirit. So anybody after the order of Adam, no matter how holy, no matter how righteous, no matter how pure, no matter how perfect, they were not able or they were not going to be able to pass on life. They were not going to be able to give the life of God. Why? Because we were created as living beings, not life-giving spirits. So a substitute had to be found. Now, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 45, the Bible says, And so it is written, The first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. So Jesus is coming as the life-giving spirit. You know, I'm, I'm going to come back to that. I want us to move in, in stages because, you know, the issue of judgment, it's, it's something that a lot of people don't understand. We celebrate the righteousness of God, but we don't really understand the aspect of judgment that makes the righteousness that we now enjoy possible. So, now you'll find the first part that we read, it was what happened in the garden, the sin that happened in the garden. And now the book of Romans chapter number 3 verse 23 says, all have sinned. So are you seeing all humanity before God was guilty? 
guilty because of the sin of one man. Now, some form of justice was introduced, an animal was supposed to die. So the faith of the person was supposed to be in the substitute, and that was the animal. All the sins taken by the animal. Now, what was supposed to be the death of the person now was put, and the wrath of God would go on that animal, and that animal would die, and the man would go free. So a guilty man and a provisional system of justice that God has put in place, and now God sends his own son, who is the last Adam, not the second Adam, is the second man and the last Adam, and he is the life-giving spirit. Now he is coming for one reason, to be able to reconcile man back to God. But that reconciliation, in order for it to be permanent, they needed to be the death of the one who is the life-giving spirit. There had to be a death. Now, the death of animals was something that would happen year after year, year after year. Remember what I said? It was justice that was done by God, but it was not permanent justice. It had to take place year after year, year after year, year after year. So justice was done, but it was not a permanent solution. It was not permanent justice that was wrought. Now, if you are to fast forward now and you come to Calvary. Now, when you come to Calvary, then you see the expression of the judgment and the justice of God. Because Jesus, his son, who had come, he lived a sinless life. He lived, he lived a life and fulfilled every law of God. Every law of God, he was without sin. Because the lamb that was supposed to be sacrificed was a lamb without blemish, a lamb without spot, a lamb that was perfect. So he had to live and walk on this earth and be as perfect as ever in order for him to be worthy to fulfill the justice of God and in order for him to be the lamb that would then be sacrificed. So the moment that he came, John makes a declaration, Behold, the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. The Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. Now I want you to just hold that as I go with you to the book of John, chapter number 16. John chapter number 16. I will betroth you in judgment. I want that to be very clear so that you know that your righteousness is as a result of judgment. John chapter number 16 uh, let's read verse 8, um, say to verse, to verse 9. Let's try that. It says, And when he has come, this is the Spirit, right, of God, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. He will convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. You see, these things are walking together. Sin, righteousness, judgment. And now, verse 9, of sin, because they do not believe in me. Of righteousness, because I go to my Father, and you see me no more. Verse 11, of judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. Now, you saw that? I will betroth you in righteousness and in judgment. And you come again here, and you see the Spirit of the Lord will convict the world of sin, 
of righteousness and of judgment. Now, so he, he comes and says, Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. Not the sins of the world. So the Holy Spirit is not coming to convict the world of sins, but convicting the world of sin. And what is the sin? The sin is failure or unbelief. Failure to believe in God. Failure to believe in the Son of God. That is the sin. Now, so he says, Behold the lamp of God that taketh away the sin of the world. And it was at Calvary where Jesus was crucified. Now, there's something that I want you to see there. Remember what we started off with in Exodus chapter 34, verse 7. He says, Keeping mercy for thousands and forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, by no means clearing the guilty. God could not have just come and says, well, everybody, you are now free. You know, you are now, uh, you, you're okay now. You can go. You see, it's just like you commit a sin. You have done something ter ter terribly wrong and you go before the judge and the judge says, well, um, you can go. You know, uh, I, I forgive you, you can go. Or, ah, well, you didn't do it. You know, the judge says, no, you didn't do it. You know, you can go, you didn't do it. Now, even though the judge would have said you did not do it, you can go. But in you, there is a conscience because you know you did it. There is a conscience that will remain with you. A conscience of sin will remain with you because you know very well you did it. So there is no amount of words that the judge will say that will be able to clear your conscience. So, even though you may not get external punishment, but inwardly you condemn yourself because the conscience eats you up. Your conscience eats you up. So what happened to us? It was not like God just went with us. You know, we just got into the courtroom of God and God says, ah, no, 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 you, you did not sin. You know, you, you're okay, you're okay. Or in the case of Goma and Osea, no, 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 you did not even go, you did not prostitute, or you did not commit adultery. Well, you are fine, you know, you can go. No, no, no. God does not overlook sin because he is a just God. That was going to make God unjust. But because he is a just God, the Bible says, by no means clearing the guilty, God does not clear the guilty. God punishes the guilty. That is justice. God punishes the guilty. That is justice. Visiting iniquities of fathers upon the children and the children's children. He does not overlook sin. Now, I want to emphasize on this. God does not in any way overlook sin. God punishes sin. And remember again, Proverbs chapter 17, I told you to hold that. The Bible says, He who justifies the wicked, all right? is an abomination to the Lord. He who justifies the wicked. So God could not just come and say, you are now just, and yet you are wicked. No. Why? Because that would make himself an abomination to himself. Because he who justifies the wicked is an abomination to the Lord. Now, I want you to hold that as we continue to, you know, to flow with our message. I hope you are, you are following me. You know, from, from this meeting and from this message, I want you to know that your righteousness was not just some proclamation that was done, but every 
bit of the justice system of God was followed. There was a judgment. There was a justice system. There was a punishment of sin. When you know that, then you can walk free without any conscience of sin because you know full justice was done and the wrath of God was appeased. Now, let me just look with you, uh, together with you, what, what exactly happened at the cross. You know, what happened at the cross? What happened at the cross? Now, look at this now. When Jesus was at the cross, he, he says something. He says, you know, actually before he was at the cross, when he was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, he prays, Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass. You know, if it is possible. That is Matthew chapter number 20, verse 22 to 23. It says, but Jesus answered and said, you do not know. Um, yeah, let's start off from there. Jesus answered and says, you do not know what you ask. Are you able to drink the cup that I'm about to drink and be baptized with the baptism that I'm baptized with? This is when those two brothers said, you know, we want to sit on the right hand and one on the left. And Jesus says, but um, you do not know what you ask. Are you able to drink the cup that I'm about to drink? The cup that I'm about to drink? And be baptized with the baptism that I'm baptized with. They said with him, or they said to him, we are able. Verse 23. So he said to them, you will indeed drink my cup and be baptized with the baptism that I'm baptized with. But to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give. But it is for those for whom it is prepared by my father. Now, look at 26 now. Matthew 26, verse 39. Because Jesus now is at the cross. Before the cross. I'm rushing to the cross. I, I think I, I just want to get there because that's where everything took place. Verse 39 is in the Garden of Gethsemane. The Bible says, And he went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, saying, O oh, my Father, if it is possible, let the, this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And in his prayer, he repeats that again. Oh, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Do you know that it was not really the cross that he was talking about? No, it was not the cross that he was talking about. Because after him, some of his disciples, church history tells us, some of his disciples, yeah, you know, Peter in particular, he was crucified, you know, with his head down. There are many, you know, of his disciples in church history who were killed, who were crucified, who actually went up to those crosses with hymns, with joy as they walked up. But for Jesus, it was a burden. Why? Because it was not simply the cross. The cross was not the cup. It was not all. It was not just the cross, as you are going to see. Now, the cup, in the writings of, you know, many, many guys in the Old Testament, many prophets in the Old Testament, most of the times when they are referring to, to the cup, they are referring to the wrath of God. If you check Isaiah, you check Ezekiel, you find this. It, it signifies the wrath of God. The wrath of God, the cup you know, that was poured against, you know, Babylon, against Syria, against different nations. It was the wrath of God. And Jesus is that understanding. 
in the cup that is saying, let this cup pass. It is the wrath of God. It is the wrath of God. It is the wrath of God because he knows what is about to take place. It's not just the hanging on the cross. No, because even sinners were hanging on the cross. It was not only the hanging, it was the wrath of God, the, the punishment of God, the anger of God, the judgment of God that was poured of the sins that were committed even from the very first guy, Adam, in the garden and to the sins that will ever be committed even after the, his cross. All those sins brought into the one guy. All those sins brought into the Son. All those sins brought to Jesus. All those sins. And because of that, Jesus knew the wrath and the justice and the judgment of God was about to be unleashed. And obviously, it's a scary thing. Remember, God does not leave the guilty. He made him sin who knew no sin, so that we may become the righteousness of God in him. He took upon all the sins of the whole world, sins that he did not commit. He never lied. He never cheated. He never committed adultery. He never committed any, any abomination that you can ever think of. Jesus was as pure as you can ever think of. He was as righteous as you can ever think of. Now, the one who knew no sin, all of a sudden, he had to take the sins of all the world upon himself. And he knows very well that the justice that was supposed to be served at the sin of Adam, it's now supposed to come on him. All the lies of Abraham supposed to come on him, the sins of David. Why? Because the Bible is very clear that with the Old Testament, there was the covering of sins, not the taking away of sins. So all those sins that were covered, all those sins that were covered, all those sins that were covered, imagine the sins of the entire universe on the Son of God. And he's there and he's crying and says, Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass by. Let this cup pass by. Let this cup pass by. But he thinks of you. He thinks of me. And he says, but let not my will be done. But let your will be done. The wrath of God was about to be unleashed. The anger of God. And he is there as our substitute, ready to take all that we are and serve the justice of God in order for us to take the righteousness of God. When we walk around and declare ourselves righteous, we know very well there is somebody who paid the price in order for us to become right. Why? Because God cannot justify the wicked. He cannot just call the wicked just. He can't do that. Otherwise, he becomes an abomination to himself. It's impossible for him to do that. He had to take it upon one in order for him to look at all of us and say, now you are just. Why? Because all oh, my wrath, my anger has gone on him. And when he hung on that cross, you know, the Bible says he cried out to him, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God turned his eyes from his son. Why have you forsaken me? Why have you forsaken me? There was darkness all over. The son bearing the wrath of God for the first time. 
yet his father turned his back on him. All this so that we can enjoy the righteousness of God with a full understanding that justice has been saved. John chapter 19, verse 30, the Bible says, So when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. It is finished. What is finished? I've drank from the cup. I've drank of the wrath of God. Every wrath of God, every anger of God, everything that God had in that cup, I've, I've taken it. There is nothing left. God, it is finished. Every written court that was written contrary to us, it is finished. Now, I want you to, to see this. You know, look at Isaiah chapter 53 verse 10. It says, Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. It pleased the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. So while he was, it pleased God to punish him. It pleased God to crush his son. God was pleased with that. Why was God pleased with that? He was pleased because he knew that justice has been saved. Sin has been dealt with. The wrath of God has been dealt with. Once and for all. Now look at Micah, uh, or Micah chapter number 7, verse 18 to verse 19. Micah chapter number 7, verse 18 to 19. It says, Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over the transgression of the remnant of his heritage? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in mercy. He will again have compassion on us and will subdue our iniquities. You will cast all our sins into the depth of the sea. You will cast all our sins, not some of our sins, into the depth of the sea. That's why it pleased the Father, because he was casting all our sins into the depth of the sea. The justice system of God, the judgment of God on sin fulfilled at the cross of Calvary. Everything turned. We were with him. You know, to the sons of uh, those two brothers who says, you know, we can drink the cup. And Jesus says, yes, you can drink the cup. Why is he saying that? He's saying that you identify with me because I, I carry you in me just as he carried us in him in fulfilling you know, the mandate and the assignment that God was giving me. The Bible actually says God was in Christ reconciling, oh, praise the Lord, the world back to himself. He was reconciling the world back to himself. Now listen to this now. Now because of what Jesus has done, we are not guilty. You are not guilty. When you look at judgment, judgment says, wrath satisfied, sentence Paid. Praise the Lord. Wrath satisfied. Sin zero. Everything removed. 
nothing. Why do we say removed? Because somebody took that upon himself. Therefore, we can walk free because our sin was punished. So my sin, it was punished already. There is no sin that I can ever commit that will make God punish me. Every form of sin and the wrath of God pertaining sin, it was already punished and punished in Christ Jesus. Now listen to what the Bible says, Romans chapter number 3 verse 24. Romans chapter number 3 verse 24. Praise the Lord. I love this. I've been meditating on this, on the judgment and what Jesus said to suffer. And now I can go freely and boldly before the Lord because I know that he has already justified me because he punished the sin on his son. Listen to this. Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Justified freely, declared right. Declared right. And like that example that I gave where a judge just says, well, you know what, you can go. You did not commit the sin. No, this one he says, you committed the sin. That's why we acknowledge our sin in order for us to be saved. We acknowledge there is sin, but greater we acknowledge that the sin was paid for. And the declaration and the message that we preach to the, to the entire world is that your sins were paid for. Somebody paid for sins. You don't need to go through and experience the wrath. Somebody paid. All you need to do is for you to accept the payment that was already made for your sin and for my sin. Now, as I'm about to finish, uh, I want you to just look at this again. Praise the Lord. I hope you're still with me and you're getting blessed by the ministry of the word. And now we can boldly say Romans chapter number 8 verse 1. There is therefore now condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Oh, praise the Lord. There is therefore now no condemnation. Why? Because judgment was already passed on sin. Now we're walking on a new judgment because when this judgment is passed, guilty, punished, in the Son, and another judgment is passed, now righteous, in the very Son of God. So where do, which judgment do we run with now? We run with not guilty. Not guilty. Not guilty. You might have committed a sin today or last week, or last year, and you know the devil has been condemning you, I want you to say, and I want you to declare, it is travesty of judgment. If God is going to punish you for the very same sin that he punished his son for, now he cannot punish sin twice. You already punished sin in his son. When it comes to you, he looks at you, and he says, because the son was punished for your sin. You are not guilty, my son. And I will betroth you in this new judgment. And what is the new judgment? You are righteous in Christ Jesus. What is the new judgment? There is no more wrath for those who are in Christ Jesus. What is the new judgment? The new judgment is all your sins were taken away. Not only, not covered, they were taken away. They are not there. They are actually not there before you even commit them. They are not there. I'm not saying we don't sin. Or you do not sin. Yes, you sin. But your sin is actually not there when God is looking because God is looking at the judgment already passed. He is looking at Calvary and he looks at the judgment and he says, what are you bringing? Devil is an accusation. He says, I'm bringing adultery. He says, where is this person? 
This person is in Christ Jesus. He says, the judgment is already passed. Not guilty. Not guilty. That saith the Lord. The Lord is saying, you are not guilty. And this is the reason for us to celebrate. Because we are not guilty. Praise the Lord. You are not guilty. Hallelujah. Cursed is he who hangs on a tree. You are not cursed. Judgment was already passed. The case was already taken. And it was taken uh, by Christ, crucified together with him at the cross. And because of that, he has given us the blessing. And the blessing of Abraham has been bestowed on us. You are not guilty. You are betrothed in judgment. And what is the judgment? The judgment says not guilty. And given to you by who? By the life-giving spirit. He did not only absorb the wrath of God, appease the wrath of God. No, he gave you his life. Remember, he says, I've got power to lay down my life. Right? I have power to lay down my life and I have power to take my life up again. That's why John chapter number uh, chapter number 16, which we read, which is chapter 19, he says, he gave up his spirit. Willingly, he gave up his spirit. The same way he gave up his spirit, he is a life-giving spirit. He also gives up his spirit to us. Now, the last scripture that I want us to look at now. Oh, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Ooh. Now, listen, listen. No, no, no. Not last scripture. Let me give you three scriptures then. Then we go. Romans chapter number 4, verse 7 to 8. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute sin. Who is that man? You are the man. Why? Because Jesus Christ became sin for you and for me so that we can become everything that he is and that is righteousness. And now listen now, verse chapter 3, verse 26 of the book of Romans. To demonstrate at the present time his righteousness that he might be just, God is just. He does not overlook sin. And the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. He justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Remember, if you do not have faith in Jesus, he cannot call you just because he becomes, if he does that, he becomes wicked. Proverbs chapter number 17. We saw that already. If he justifies you outside Christ, you become, you become, he becomes wicked. He who justifies the wicked is an abomination to the Lord. He does not justify the wicked. He justifies those whose sins are paid for in Christ Jesus. And if you believe in Jesus, you are believing that sin was paid for. And because sin was paid for, he has cleared me because there was payment. Right? Remember Exodus? He does not in any way clear the guilt. So he, Jesus took all our guilt, so he became the guilty one. Now, he left us guilt-free, not guilty. You know, I want you to just get this, the, the legal aspect to this so that you have boldness in your righteousness. When the devil comes and says you are a sinner, you tell him, well, do you understand the law? Do you understand the justice system of God? If God is just and he is the justifier of those who have put his faith, their faith in Jesus, I put my faith in Jesus and for that reason, I am justified. Now, let me go now to the killer verse, you know, uh, Hebrews chapter number 9, verse 9 to 14. 
It was symbolic for the time present in which both gifts and sacrifices are offered, which cannot make him who performed the the service perfect in regard to the conscience, concerned only with foods and drinks, various washings and fleshly ordinances imposed until the time of reformation. Now, it's in reference to the Old Testament, that in the Old Testament there was no cleansing, there was no paging of conscience, including the high priest, the one who would go into the Holy of Holies. There was no paging and cleansing of conscience. Now, check this out. He then says, But Christ came as high priest of the good things to come, with the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with the hands that is, not of this creation, not with the blood of goats and calves, that justice system that was not perfect, but with his own blood, he entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. I'll betroth you forever, eternal redemption, in justice forever, in righteousness forever, eternal redemption. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh. How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself, life-giving spirit, offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to save the living God. Cleanse your conscience from dead works. Cleanse your conscience from sin. One sign that you're experiencing the judgment of God, the goodness of God, the righteousness of God is not having a conscience of sin. No conscience of sin. Already cleared. What is the new program that is functioning? The new program that is functioning is now the conscience of righteousness. That is the judgment. When the Holy Spirit comes, he will convict the world of sin. Because they do not believe in the Son, which means the sin is unbelief. And of righteousness, because I go to the Father. Why is he saying because I go to the Father? Because he went to the Father after having satisfied and fulfilled everything that needed to be fulfilled. So righteousness sealed. And he goes to the Father. And he says judgment because the prince of this world is already judged. So what does he mean when he says the prince of this world is already judged? It was at the cross where dealt was dealt with. It was at the cross where sin was dealt with. That is the hold of the prince of this world. When that is taken away from him, he is already judged. The cross became the judgment of everything else. There is nothing that is going to happen at the judgment day that has not already happened now. God has already judged sin in his son. And to those who accept the son, you know that you will enjoy the righteousness of God that is already certain. In Christ Jesus. Praise the Lord. You are blessed. Uh, Let's just, uh, you know, just for a minute, wherever you are, I just want you to just thank God and, you know, just appreciate the judgment of God, the justice system of God. He did not, you know, just let sin go. No, he punished sin in his son so that you and me can enjoy the justice of God. And what is the justice of God? The righteousness that we now have in Christ Jesus. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Uh, God bless you for joining the, this broadcast and I want to keep on encouraging you to partner with us uh, so that we continue to spread the good news of our Lord Jesus Christ 
to the world. Let's meet again next week. You are blessed.